Hey heroes, just a quick note that Zoom really put us through the ringer on this recording and you're going to notice some clicks coming up on my audio later in this episode. There is nothing we could do to remove them and I am so sorry that you have to deal with them. Hopefully we can just power through it on this series. Uh, we definitely changed our protocol for recording future series. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy. Hello, heroes, and welcome to another exciting episode of One Shot. I'm James D'Amato, your host and game master. This week, we're continuing our A Green Hour story. As a reminder, our guest, Gian Shim, is going to be kickstarting a new Connected Path game soon, The Shape of Shadows. Folks, I got a chance to play a little of this game already, and I had so much fun. If you enjoyed Gian's earlier games like Field Guide to Memory, I think you're really going to like Shape of Shadows. Also, if you're like me and you have an affection for magic, specifically stage magic, specifically close-up magic, I think you are really going to gel with this game. You can find the preview link to the Kickstarter in our show notes. Now, with all of that out of the way, let's get to the show. That's great. <laughs> yeah, creepy sea world. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know about you, but I've been noticing some, like, uh, shall we say, lightly sublimated themes of uh, <laughs> current climate anxieties coming up, including, you know, like, like that is a real thing right now. The water is getting less and less hospitable for like kind of that mid-range, upper-range level of, of life. And so... That feels very real to me, this idea of like bringing life back to the surface, bringing, you know, that teeming quality of life back because um, that's how we think of the sea. Yeah, for sure. I think for Valerian's family, my family stewards all green living things on the land. That is the responsibility they take on explicitly. But she is responsible specifically for seedlings and ceremonies of transplanting. And I think... The way that I imagine this is I imagine in the, the verdant God's temple, there are many young people and one is chosen as an infant to be the scion. And then they're like, they're together, but set apart to, and that's always weird and tense. And so while many, many, many people tend the seedlings and transplant, Valyrian is like in charge of it. And it's because of the symbolism of birth and then the bridge to greater life mm. and it carries a lot of responsibility much like being the scion of this temple does and it's very it's a lot of weight and it's a further accentuation of how much she just can't take a break because people always have to consult with her technically maybe according to formal rights she has to give permission for a seed to be put in the ground or for a young oh. plant to be put in the ground and so she's constantly moving from garden bed to garden bed from food forest to pathway to just say yes to all of these things and very occasionally no like sometimes she actually has to say this can't be planted here it won't interact well with this other plant she can't phone it in she's always thinking about it yeah and like that to me like that means that you kind of have to carry the weight of rejecting like nurturing or stewardship yeah. which yeah that's a tough decision to make 
<laughs> yeah. And I imagine that like whatever intrinsic human resentment might be present for like the preferential treatment she probably gets. There's also the resentment of being told no after like your hard work. Right. Yeah. And for twining our two domains together, we'll strengthen the land by, I think that Valerian has been noticing that the tide pools that she's seen occasionally as her temple travels across the land have been dwindling. It seems like there's less kelp, less diversity of invertebrate life. She used to see octopi and even sometimes otters like perched on the edge to fish and play and uh, lots of birds and they're just getting emptier and emptier and all of that life is getting pushed further and further into the sea. And so she wants to bring it back to the shore. And she thinks that this union will will maybe bring fertility back to these transitional zones. Yeah. Well, like I'm kind of thinking that there might have been a different sea god at some point. Like that was like all about coral reefs and Ooh, whatnot, you know, yeah. and that was probably the sea god that uh, Valyrian's temple really kind of had their hopes set on <laughs> and that one just didn't make it so oh, like yeah it's like we can bring those tide pools back but they're gonna be different <laughs> yeah yeah oh i love that i love it so much rich potential for generational attention too we have our family dynamics established. We have our dynamics of responsibility to our respective temples established. And we also have kind of the, the spoken and unspoken expectations of this union established as well. God, it's so yeah. meaty. There's so much going on. There, there really is. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's introduce listeners to the meeting part of part one. It is the first time we lay eyes on each other. And it will be described and narrated out of character to establish the things that we notice, but that part leads directly into the last hour, which is us role-playing as these characters and having this conversation as two people together for the first and last time. Cool. Cool. Do you want to, again, start? Yeah. This is the first time you've laid eyes on your betrothed. What strikes you as beautiful? Choose one to two. This, I am going to go with their hands and kind of what I was thinking about my culture. I think in our culture, the standards of beauty are built around, you know, people being pale, but also people kind of like, because first of all, you want to be pale because that means the sun hasn't touched your skin, which is like good and sacred. But also, the more pale your skin is, the easier it is to see you in bioluminescence because, like, it's just providing very faint light, you know? So it is, like, th th that's the beauty standard, and it, like, has spun off and gone so far. Part of it is, do you know glassfish? Glassfish are, like, those fish that have, yes. like, completely transparent bodies. I think because that paleness is part of the beauty standard, it's kind of a, a attractive trait if you can see the veins through somebody's skin. Because like that is 
that is you cultivating and living this beauty standard. You're actually reflecting some of the natural beauty of the sea itself, you know, or, or the portion oh, of the cool. sea that we find is valuable. So I see your hands and here's the thing. You are somebody who spends all their time in the sun and works all day and whatnot. So <laughs> you don't have this sort of spindly look to you, but your hands, because you work all the time and like your arms and whatnot, you have veins that are like visible just because you're buff and strong. <laughs> yeah. So while you don't have pale skin, the the like like the skin that I have been taught to perceive as beautiful, I can see your veins. Um, and like they are prominent and they're they're poking out like definitely on your hands and up your arms and like other parts of your body that are visible to me. And it is like this thing that strikes other like, like, oh my goodness. Like I have never seen a person who is beautiful in this way before. They possess a beauty that like sort of exists in our culture, but they possess it in, in a different way. And like, it's something that other cannot take his eyes off of the way those veins are like I think sort of makeup probably in our culture and whatnot like you put bioluminescent things on your veins to like kind of emphasize them and whatnot but it's like even in the dim light I can see the outline of them which is like oh my goodness what is yeah. going on <laughs> I almost wonder if there's even a conflation it's like veins but more it's actually like others looking at Valerian's like tendons, like the carotid, like those, the two oh, arteries yeah. on the sides of the neck mm -hmm. and, uh, and like the tendons in her wrists and forearms are probably like really well-developed. And so it's almost like have the quality of veins, but it's a part of the body that other just hasn't paid attention to very much before. Yeah. And especially because they tend to stand out more when you are actually using them, when you're moving and active. So it's one Valerian, like turns her head and that side the carotid artery just like sticks out on her neck yeah 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 there's nothing like delicate or willowy about it it's just like a like a tree root or something yeah or yeah. i guess for for other it would be more like a like the strand of a of like a piece of bull kelp like that really strong thick stipe absolutely and like it i i honestly think the way that we have been protected and that we have to you know the only times that we're allowed near each other are through these palanquins and whatnot like i think there is a solid chance that other has like literally never seen anyone look like this you know yeah yeah absolutely i love that did you want to choose a second thing or is it mostly that I, I think it is mostly that I'm, I'm saving the other things for, for tenderness. Okay, cool. Yeah. For Valerian, I think the first thing that strikes her about other immediately are his eyes. I imagine them. And of course we can modify what our characters look or sound like, et cetera. <laughs> but I actually really like sort of the way that we describe each other's temples. We're describing each other's qualities and then like adding to them. So for other. Me too. I, yeah. Much like glassfish, I feel like there's two adaptive strategies for, for animals that spend a lot of time in the dark. Their eyes either do not exist or they become really large. And I think that others' eyes are like limpid pools. Yeah. Like water and moonlight is the first thing that Valerian thinks, which is a sort of forbidden taboo thing because she's not even supposed to know what moonlight looks like. But she does because she snuck out 
with her friends when she was young and she's seen the streams and rivers and ponds under a full moon. And the first thought that occurs to her is that's exactly what his eyes are like. They're big and dark and they seem to both hold and swallow light in a way that she finds really compelling. Oh yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. And um, this will feature later in the impression, but I think others voice also, because I think in the verdant gods temple, you're outside and you're shouting and you have to be pretty loud to be heard if you're talking to someone from a distance. There's probably a lot of the way that birds have communication calls, like contact calls, alarm calls. There's probably actual like song based vocal signals, sort of the way that cooning exists in Scandinavian uh, cattle herding or shepherding. Um, Mm. And the way that shepherds have like a specific vocal lilting call to call in the sheep. I bet the temple guardians have a lilting call to call in the children. And so there's a lot of melodic and loud vocal structure in this temple. And others' voice is quiet. It's serene. Because in a cave, if you're loud, especially in the chill zone (laughs) cave of of his temple, it's so disruptive. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I think... That's just absolutely stunningly gorgeous. Like the second other starts talking, Valerian's completely captivated by his voice. And I think that that sort of twines nicely with with the the tenderness that my character feels. I think it's really based primarily on Valerian's bearing, but I'm going to mix that with their voice and say that the circumstances in which other interacts with other people. Like I, I'm thinking through what we've established about this religion so far and how people relate to each other. Uh, You know, like I've said, it's a weird kind of spa that, that you live in, which means intimacy and closeness is kind of mixed in with the sort of quietness and solitude. So the circumstances in which other has interacted with other people, they are circumstances where you are very close and you are probably going to touch one another. And I think as the scion, one of the things that other probably has to do, like there are probably certain rites of massage that like, are only given by the scion. Mm-hmm. That is like one of one of the rewards for for being especially pious or or whatever, living living the life in in the most fluid way. So, other is kind of used to reading people through their body. Like you can't really see a lot in in the temple. It's only what light the bioluminescence is providing for you. So. Other has gotten pretty good in a lot of circumstances of like understanding where people are carrying their tension and what needs to be relieved. Because like you were trying to reflect the tide, you were trying to be loose and and fluid and and move with the flow. And and the tighter you are, the more stress you're carrying, the the farther you are strayed from that ideal existence. So when other looks at Valerian's bearing, like what what he sees is someone who carries tightness and rigidity all around them. And, and not only that, uh, like moving it with voice, your voice 
is loud, but in a way, your body language is also loud. You've had to project authority from a distance for so long that I just look at you and the way you hold yourself and I feel like, oh my gosh, I need to take care of this person. You know, I, I work very hard to, to not think ill of, of the people you've come from because people are very carefully diplomatic around me. But like, I see the life that you've led and I just like have imagined for so long of like how hard it would be to live that way. And I finally see a person who has, and you know, you're, you're so strong and everything, but it looks like you've been carrying so much weight and his his heart just kind of breaks a little bit, like seeing that there is anyone who has to go through the trouble of carrying themselves in that way. That's lovely. When Valerian sees other, I think, again, she was warned the sea gods people are a fallow people. They're a dormant people. They're delicate. Those are the words that, that we keyed in on. And that is what she sees in his bearing immediately. But she has this thought and for her it's like an inchoate wordless mess of emotion internally but to to unspool it and kind of weave it for a listener i think what's going through her her mind and her heart are the ways that when she is in the in the planting ceremony or the seedling ceremony there's so much baggage around it there's all the expectations there's the actual logistical duties of it there's the fact that it's never ending but part of those ceremonies do mean tending seeds. And that work is very focused and honed. And so it's one of the few places where she doesn't feel like she's surrounded by people, even though there's probably dozens of people in the greenhouse tending seeds, everyone actually goes pretty quiet to focus on that work. It's one of the few places she knows peace. And when she is trying to examine a plant for root rot or take a seed that is really sensitive to root disturbance and transplant it. There are different methods they have to use for that, but sometimes the roots become exposed and there's that quality to them where they're so tender. There's just no other word for it. They are tender, fragile things, but that hold life. And that's the thing that she loves about the seedling house. It not only brings her personal peace, it's the one place where she feels uncomplicated about the love that she has for the land and for her people and their traditions. When she sees those exposed roots, those are the moments where she, it just flashes through her, the love of her God and the love of the land. And when she sees other, her first thought is he looks like a root. He looks like a seedling root. It's that delicate mm -hmm. paleness and his bearing. I don't think, I think she was expecting someone kind of wobbly with bad posture, but I imagine your people actually take great care of their posture. And so there is this regal, noble bearing to him, but it's fluid. The way that, that he moves is really fluid. Yeah, I kind of think like maybe not rigidly regal or yeah. whatever, you know, maybe not like sullen or hunched, but like there's a definite like maybe leading with 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 your head and whatnot. Yeah. And it's definitely not shaky. They're not unsteady legs like a fawn's, but there's maybe like a dancing without music quality of like always kind of 
you know, waving. Yeah. Languid. So maybe not regal. Maybe the word I want is languid. There's a languid quality. Yeah. um, To to others bearing that just immediately reminds her of like the the core of her duties that she she really actually loves. And similarly, when you said like the dancing swing thing, I added hands because I imagine that your hands are also always kind of swaying. And there's that graceful, like almost ballet. It, it often gets coded as feminine, right? The ways that hands can move in a really like liquid, fluid mm-hmm. way. Um, and I think that that's also really captivating. And again, just like reinforces this feeling of like, they're like your tap roots, right? They're always seeking information. That's the thing that occurs to her. And just that association she makes, it makes her feel so tender and caring toward you because because of nothing that you're actually doing. Just, you know, it's all about her, right? Like in some ways, this yeah. is all projection. And like, this is the first time that we're looking at each other. So yeah. I, I, you know, that's one of the things about attraction and especially that like love at first sight attraction is all of that lives in projection. It's like a very private part of love that everybody kind of experiences where, you know, projection can be toxic and, and, and negative and whatnot, but it's also a thing that everybody does because, like, that's how our brains work. I mean, yeah, that's how people work. And it's also, I think it can be really, like, bringing in associations from your life and seeing the ways they radiate and echo out into the world. It's a way that you you sublimate not only your lived experience as a person, but you find and and actually weave beauty out of the world in a way that feels like a story. And I think that like that is very present in this meeting. I'm sure that both of these scions have been told stories over and over and over, over their whole life. And for Valerian, I think one of them is that the, the reassure, it feels like a pat reassurance, but it is also in all of the traditions and texts and prophecies is that when you meet, when these two scions need to create a God, they will love each other. And that is a thing where she just, she wants it to be true. She resents it because it feels fake and like a, an answer you give a child to make them go away. She worries about it because she is worried that she will not like this meeting, that it will be painful or unpleasant in some way. And then to feel these feelings for other instantly, there's that heady mix of both, they were right. And also I resent that they were right. Like, why do they have to be right about everything? And then the very human, just this person is so fascinating to me. And then again, just immediately after that, I wish we had more time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Okay. So now I need to ask a question mm-hmm. about where are we meeting and yeah. what are the circumstances? Because here's the thing, Gian, both of our temples would probably be pushing very hard for it either to be during the day or at night because <laughs> we both have taboos about a particular type of light. It's true. So how did we negotiate that? What do you think about it happening at the magic hour, like that hour before sunset? Because it's when the sun is going down and the light is waning. And maybe it's like during that, oh, I just had this visual idea. In a lot of coastal areas in California, there's these like dramatic cliffs. These like kind of like sandstone, just like tawny cliffs that go into the water. And it's very stark and bluff. What if our palanquins are now instead of being carried, they're actually lowered down. And there's a cave, but it's above the sea level. And it improbably is filled with plants and 
like the sound of animals and birds that aren't there. Like it's a magical, weird place. And that is our power. Instead of it being a magical place, I prefer it being a place that many, many people have worked a very long time to prepare for a specific purpose. So like the animals and whatnot, like there is a network of cave systems somewhere where people have a bunch of birds that they are like (laughs) piping bird song into this place. Oh, that's so much cooler. Oh my God. I love that. Yes. Oh God. And, and I imagine it's very risky work if you have to carve that bower into the, into the face of a cliff. It also in some ways goes against the natural tending of the verdant gods uh, temple, because a lot of that is working with the land over time, creating a food forest. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't know if you've seen videos or photographs of those bridges that are literally made out of trees where the roots have just been trained to meet each other. And there are these huge 500 year old bridges. And I think when you were talking about that snail trail of, of life, that's what yeah. uh, Valerian's temple does is they actually tend the land into creating these spaces. And so they wanted this cave to be done like that over a long time but obviously time-wise that doesn't you can't do that and so i i think weirdly this is a place where both of our temples were aligned like one of the things i think that there was a place that i visited in china where it was like a temple where one of their things was they have this little canal where they were wearing down stones to be smooth And like, that's just a thing that happens over years and years and years. And like, you can't really artificially do it. You just have to be a temple that's been around for hundreds of years. I think that is how we do the stoneworking for our temple for a lot is it is a lot of top down, really long, so many generations process of like wearing places through movement of water and whatnot. But you know, we had all of these conditions that needed to be met <laughs> that both of our temples were trying to compromise with with one another. And it just got to a point where they're like, well, this is going to happen in like three years. And we've searched literally all over the world where it's still safe to be. And we haven't found it. So we have to make this. I love that. I love, it's like, a, it's one of the few unfraught negotiations. It's like in order to birth this God, we just have to do this. Yeah. 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 I love it. <laughs> it is. If anybody's ever planned a wedding before, it's exactly the sort of compromise that you have to make. Oh it's like, God. well, we couldn't get the location that we wanted. <laughs> so we have to decorate the one that we can afford in a way wow. that sort of makes it like what we want. <laughs> wow. Life becomes art and vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> I love that detail you made of like both temples working on carving these channels to bring the sounds of like this bird song and animals and the sea to this bower. Like you hear the sea because it's overlooking it, but then like in order to bring like all these terrestrial sounds to it, you have to like make these weird earthen pipelines of music and like natural noise. I just, it's so surreal and I love it. It's so good. One of my favorite things I think about that process is in both of these temples now, there is this tremendous subculture of craftspeople and artists and whatnot that have worked on a project 
culturally unlike any project they've ever worked on for the past three years. So now like stone carving and whatnot is just going to be a thing because it was a necessary invention oh uh, that, that they needed to do for this, yeah. this thing. But like getting back to our situation specifically, mm -hmm. because this is the magic hour, the sun is not in the sky and the moon is not in the sky. That's the compromise that we managed to like fudge and, and get together by doing this in the mag magic hour. But sunlight is still lighting the environment. Yeah. So, there are a few things like maybe it's hurting my eyes like a little bit, but me who has always looked at like sunlight as this forbidden alluring thing, not only am I seeing another person better than I have ever seen a person before in my life, but I am seeing someone in the relief of sunlight. So this is like, this is like probably one of the kinkiest experiences someone from my culture could possibly have. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Is what is happening right now. So like, I think, I think other is like blushing furiously, eyes wide, just sort of taking things in and not shaking, but like there's, you know, that nervous sway of like, not knowing what to do with yourself. Like I'm here with the person that I'm supposed to marry and consummate that marriage with. And oh my God, look at her veins. Oh my God, I can see everything. Hey Heroes, it's James, your Game Master, and welcome to the mid-roll. Heroes, we are still currently accepting applications to cast Oromar Vale over on Campaign Skyjacks. This is a paying role, and you would join our award-winning cast for our award-winning podcast. It's a great opportunity, and I am so excited to work with a new, talented performer. If you want to learn more about the role, what we're offering as a network, and what we're looking for, you can head to bit.ly slash Audition. That's bit.ly slash O-R-I-M-A-R audition to see the character breakdown. We're going to be accepting applications through April 10th, so there's only a little bit of time left to get your application in. The other exciting thing that we're preparing for is the Kickstarter for Season 2 to Skyjack's Courier's Call. Heroes, Season 1 was a tremendous success. Not only did we manage to fund our new all-ages actual play and put out twice as many episodes as we thought we were going to be able to do, but Courier's Call basically swept the new podcast categories of the Audioverse Awards this year. If you haven't already, head to your favorite podcast listening app and subscribe to Skyjack's Courier's Call, and then head over to our mailing list over at bit.ly slash skyjackscrew to find out as soon as the new campaign launches. We're also going to be sending out some tantalizing previews of exciting Skyjacks things coming up through that feed, so if you're not subscribed, you will definitely want to be. Once again, that is bit.ly slash skyjackscrew. As always, a huge thank you to our supporters on Patreon. That support paid for Tracy Barnett's editing on these episodes, and I think it stands for itself. 
If you like what you're hearing, please head over to patreon.com slash one shot podcast and sign up to become a backer. In return, we offer you some amazing backer rewards, like a cool new bonus content series that's going to be coming up later this month. And at the $15 plus level, access to the One Shot Book Club. Every month, the One Shot Patreon offers you free RPG PDFs. This month's game is Trial by Dominique Dickey. That might sound familiar to One Shot listeners because we just ran episodes of Trial a little bit ago. I hope you liked that series because now you can take home the game for free. $15 plus backers just need to head over to our Patreon and click on the free download link. While you're there, you should consider checking out Dominique's Kickstarter, which still has three days to go for tomorrow on Revelation 3. It is a satirical far future game about capitalism on a horrible space station. And if you liked Trial, you will probably like that game as well. Once again, head over to patreon.com slash one-shot podcast to get involved. Thanks to everyone who backs us already and everyone who will back us in the future. Now with all that out of the way, let's get back to the show. I love that. Yeah, these people in some ways they're so inex- they're young and and they don't get to have a buildup of life experience. That nervousness is is all they're going to get. And and I feel like that makes it even more yeah. loaded because on some level they know that. Explicitly they know that. It's what they were raised to do. God, that's so cool. Yeah. I I yeah. think um there's also this this feeling of not doubt but again that just just oh oh, wow, it's it's really happening for Valyrian where suddenly she can hear the animals, but she can't see them. And I don't think that's 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 happened before mm-hmm. in the sense of sometimes she'll hear birdsong from far away, but she knows it's out there. And if she wanted to, she could go find the birds. She could go find the wolf track. She could go find the squirrel sign of like the nuts that they left the hulls of on the, on the earth. But this time she can't go find them. This is the end of her of her path as a person. Yeah, I think there's just a lot of mixed emotion there. Other, I think, is like on a weirdly other end of that experience in that the two types of experience that you really have in the life of his temple, there is very close intimacy of being close to another person, touching another person, interacting quietly and intimately with another person, and then solitude but it's also solitude that's kind of built around a bit of sensory deprivation, right? When you are alone and removed from other people, like you are alone in a dark place where there is just you. And now he's in a very intimate situation where he is alone with another person, but Everything is bright, so there's so much experience to take in, and he is exposed in, like, a weird way. So that feeling of nervousness, like, oh, my God, it's the thing that we've been prescribed to do since, you know, we were infants. But also it's like, oh, my God, in the mix of all of this, even though I've prepared my entire life for this, I have never experienced anything like this before and i think because of that reflexively 
other is going to draw close to Valerian because there's so much world right now. And while there is the comforting sound in the air, like there is light, there are bird songs, which is not really a thing. So he's going to try and cut the world away by drawing close to this this person. And I, I think he's actually going to touch Valerian because probably one of the things about this culture, it is very much about you touch someone as your greeting, probably before you would lift your voice, you would touch someone else to like know who they are. And I think it's got to be a bit of a taboo to be in the same room with someone when you are not touching them in some oh. way. Because if you're in the dark, if you're in the dark and nobody knows you're there, you're creeping around. You got to let people know that you're there. So <laughs> yeah. he's like, got to draw close and make some kind of contact with you because it's his first time meeting you. He's He's got to touch you to like know who you are. But also it's his way of like, you know, he's definitely picking up on the fact that you are also nervous and feeling things about this. So he's also trying to comfort you, like simultaneously greeting you and letting you know, hey, I'm not a <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, I think this is one of the the alignments we have in our cultures. I think that touch is very casual and, and unloaded. It's one of the few things that does not carry a whole lot of weight. Physical activity means like physical proximity. It means you have to work together sometimes. And also I imagine the, the Verdant God's temple being really crowded inside at night because there's all these people, they don't get to like go out and sleep out if they want to for more room. And so there's like puppy piles of children all snuggled together. I think that friends like wrestle each other, like smack oh. each other on the arm when they're joking around. And that like convivial energy is is very physically affectionate in that casual way where it has never really been taboo. And so that, but that touch, yeah. the reason it, it feels, it captures Valerian's complete focus is it feels different. It doesn't feel like that at all. Some like she's being touched in a way by someone who just touches other people for different reasons. And even though she doesn't know what they are, just it's like um almost imagine like like a like the site, the central site of like a heat map where Valerian's hand is on her skin. It's like she just imagines that as like the being this like point of of light almost. And it's so overwhelming for her that I think she involuntarily intakes like a sharp breath. Not like she's been hurt, but just it's it's so much. It's so much stimulus for her. Yeah, I, I want to say that, like, not only is that happening, but I think Other has been anointed with one of the, you know, living oils that the temple produces that kind of, like... This is a just a standard marital thing that this culture does. It is an oil that like has organisms in it that are bioluminescent, but like they are reactive to changes in their environment. So you cover yourself in oil and you glow for a little bit and that glow goes away and your partner is also covered in an oil. And so then like when you touch each other, where you have touched each other, there are just points of like faint light. And so like just, you know, the, the, the consummation like wedding ritual is like you are in a situation where you have this oil so you can 
see and experience your partner in in ways that are normally very difficult or or whatnot. So not only do you feel like points of light in the touch, but there are also like literal points of light. I love that. But picking up on what you described as like the energy of touch in these cultures, like I do love how they're weirdly on like a high energy, low energy, like opposite bits of wavelength where intimate touch is okay. It's like, yeah, if you've ever been around a group of like rowdy friends where you can totally hug each other, but maybe you hug each other with like pats on the back or whatever. Yeah. totally different from like the group of friends who do the cuddle puddles and will just like sort of like lay themselves on you it is like a completely different energy so i think feeling the difference in that energy and because it is an alien experience or whatnot like that is kind of what makes it intriguing and exciting yeah and you know, much like negotiations of consent can be really fluid and and shifting. And sometimes that means they're very verbal. But I feel like in both of our cultures, a lot of that is nonverbal. Like the negotiations are are often Mm -hmm. based on body language and context of tradition. But our traditions are so different that now suddenly they're, you know, they're the same conditions don't apply. And so now actually we do have to be verbal in a way that I don't think Valerian is used to. And there's that tension. I think this was part of like her preparation was like her temple elders telling her, you are going to have to ask because these people, again, they're delicate. They need things scaffolded. They're like a a young sapling that hasn't grown up right. And so you have to be the wicker cage around them to support them. That means you're going to have to talk about it. And she's just, it's just not, like something she's used to. And I think there's nervousness around that. Yeah. Like, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I ask and it offends him? Others got to be feeling the same thing right <laughs> exactly. now. Oh my gosh. Because like his temple, like I, I think one of the things, like, like I said, because, you know, massage and touch is like a part of the sacred rites of this temple being raised that like, oh yeah, when somebody is carrying tension, you care for it and relieve it in a culture that does not view the world that way. When someone is showing signs of tension, it is also like a bit of a guarded thing and you are supposed to respect and leave those things alone. So there was a prolonged period of time where the elders of our temple had to process this information. And even after they process it, they then had to take it back to me and try and walk other through that where it's like, Hey, so when you see this other person is tense, you don't, that is not an invitation for you to immediately help them. What that is, is you're supposed to leave that alone and maybe like, maybe ask about it, but probably also they don't want you to ask about it. So there is like a decision paralysis in other, like other is trying to, shake your hand like trying to do the thing like well i gotta i gotta i I gotta touch your face i gotta meet you and like get to know you and whatnot but also i know because i have been told there are these parts of you that you're just gonna be sensitive about and i can't (laughs) assume anything yeah at this point (laughs) yeah i think it's like thing we have in common even though we don't know it right now i am i think the valyrian so to establish what she says to break the silence, I think that her her wedding apparel 
is um, like an actual living gown, like a robe that is made up of like living seedlings and flowers where the roots are woven oh. into these almost like very thin, dense, like moss mats that, that support, mm-hmm. it's like a fabric, but it's a thick fabric, like a, like a tapestry because of all the stuff that's woven into it. And the roots themselves are like the, the weave and weft of a, of a tapestry and it's heavy and woven into that extending from the shoulders of this robe that conceals her body there's a living crown of flowers that are going to seed which means the leaves are starting to go like golden and dry and the seed pods are actually all rustling a little bit and I am imagining this specific flower it's called a nigella and the common name is love in the mist and it's this almost poppy seed like head but it's surrounded by this lace like cage of leaves and the seeds when they're going to seed the seeds just fall everywhere and so every time she moves seeds are falling from her onto the cave floor onto her onto other skin and she I think breaks the silence by self-consciously saying I'm sorry about all the seeds Uh, I'll take this off eventually And in that silence, there's like that rustle of the seed pods again. (laughs) Like it's just really awkward, but very earnest also. I think other, I will describe how other is dressed. I think other is naked, but covered in body paint, essentially. And what will happen when he prepares the mantle, this, this pool, the pigments and whatnot in that are all bioluminescent creatures and whatnot. So they will flow away from and off his body and like create this sort of like glowing landscape around them. But, you know, he just has like, I don't know if you've seen really intricate like body paint designs and whatnot on people. Like there is form to to it. Like it doesn't look like a naked person because they're doing things with, with color and whatnot. But, He's otherwise naked. And I think most of the time, this culture is naked. And I think probably one of the things that he's foolishly grown up believing is that like clothing is just a type of burden that people of Valerian's culture take on like symbolically. Because there's no need <laughs> to protect yourself from the elements in in his world, right? Yeah, yeah. So. It's just like, well, they probably wouldn't do that unless, like, there was, like, a religious reason for them to do that. Um, (laughs) I think he'll, like, again, his his face is flush. Like, I definitely want there to be enough of his body unpainted that you can definitely tell whenever he's embarrassed. (laughs) Yeah. He, like, draws close and draws close to the, like, distance that is normal in the caves and that involves him getting like quite close to your ear and saying, Oh, it's okay. It's not that heavy on me. And he'll like take one of the the seeds off, you know, to show that like, don't, don't worry. It wasn't as heavy as I thought they were going to be. So you, you haven't done anything bad. When you like pluck the seed from my shoulder, it actually germinates and sprouts in your hand. Oh my God. Yeah. 
Okay, so all of of my fluid calm and whatnot disappears in an instant. <laughs> you know, <laughs> never seen anything like that happen before. I think that's somewhat standard, but only with Valyrian. When the seed sprouts, Valyrian sees that that it really surprises other, and instinctively she sort of. If your hand has your palm upturned, instinctively she puts her hand underneath yours to support the back of it. And you can feel the warmth. Yeah. And like, you can feel the warmth and actually roughness of her palm. And as the warmth sort of radiates through your hand, that seed begins to grow and it keeps growing until you can see the first set of true leaves and the bud of the flower just beginning to form. And then it, it just sort of stops and Valerian looks up straight into your eyes. His eyes are so wide. Like, you know, they are, they are like normally very big looking eyes. And I think they got a little bit of that, like bug out quality. They're just, you know, these are anime eyes on a person. Um, (laughs) But like, you know, he's just witnessed this beautiful miracle and he just says, is it bright like that all the time? I think so. I'm not, I'm not sure what you mean. Uh, at home, you only see the colors when they're being shown to you, but th- this one doesn't glow. It just has the colors anyway. Uh, yeah, yes, everything uh, is is bright like this where where my temple is, where wherever our temple is. Your eyes must be so tired. Valerian's eyes, in spite of her youth, have crow's feet because she's always in the sun. Oh, of course, yeah. And I think other sees those crow's feet kind of intense intensify, and it's really hard to say whether she's suppressing a smile or a grimace. It's a little ambiguous. (laughs) Seeing seeing those crow's feet, I think he immediately moves to like touch those crow's feet because he's probably never seen crow's feet really. He's definitely felt them, but like on older people for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when he does that streak of bioluminescence, right? It like stains her, her cheek. And, and her eyes. Yep. And I think that because her skin is pretty dark, it really stands out. And at this point, the sunlight is starting to fade from that like gilded magic hour quality to right after sunset when things start to go a little softer and twilight starts to set in. And so the glow of that anointing oil brings out the contours of her, of her cheeks, how soft and full they are. Mm-hmm. And she's making dead on eye contact with him. And I think she says, I'm not sure when I'm supposed to, to disrobe is, is it now? Is it later? Um, I don't take off what I'm wearing until, until we're in the pool. Um, but if, if it's, if it's heavy for you, it's okay. Um, you can, you can take it off now. Okay. Yeah, all right. And she moves her hand off of others hand to look for the I think that there's like um 
kind of those like ornate Victorian buttons, like that line of buttons, but they're all seed pods that are growing directly into this mat of woven moss and green material. And so she actually has to very gently untangle each set of roots that's holding the buttons closed. Oh, wow. And it's laborious and it (laughs) it takes a long time. It's not going to be a, a quick removal of this robe. She gets stuck on one and it's clear she just gets a little frustrated. She's like, oh, this, I can't, I can't untangle it without breaking it and starts muttering a little bit. Like, just let, just let go, just let go to the seedling. I kind of think other would probably want to come in and help. One of his things is like untangling knots and like, uh, uh, you know, relieving tensions and like, that's kind of what's happening in these roots, but like I can also foresee this going very wrong. A question that I have for you, Jihan, yeah. is at what point d- does the the rolling happen? Is that prescribed at, as like sort of rhythmically through the scenes? Because, you know, it does say if if you're rolling to comfort your betrothed or fulfill your duties or act on behalf of the temple, that sort of seems like that might be a freeform style. Yeah, so to I be completely to honest, I totally forgot about the rolling because of the, the story. So I think, yeah, like for example, <laughs> <laughs> I could have rolled when I put my hand on your hand, but that's fine that I didn't. If oh. you want to roll now to help Valerian coax the roots from around the buttons on her robe, I think that would be totally appropriate. Yeah. I have a slightly different draft of the game than you do. So I'm relying on you to tri- to <laughs> convey the, the rules. Yeah. So it does say at the end of each part, you will both roll 2d6 twice for the first roll, add the higher result to your honor stat for the second roll add the higher result to your impious stat. But that seems to be for like the larger story. Yeah. My interpretation of this kind of is that rolling honorable and impious is a normal check to see if you're succeeding or failing, just using your stat normally if you want to do things that would be uncertain. Yeah. That's my interpretation. Yeah. That's the fun thing about role-playing games is part of it is about interpretation. (laughs) This is definitely an interpretive game. Yeah, I do think this is honorable and we're probably, it's like at or under. So yeah, I do hit three, which means I don't make a big mess out of this. I think there was a big chance that because like massage is a thing, I could have brutally come in and, and mangled those roots to like disconnect them from one another because you kind of press out against knots and whatnot to relieve them. But this, I think, is showing, like, despite there being all these differences, there is a kind of delicate touch to this religion, this culture, that is a compatible approach to your own. So, like, I think probably unexpectedly is, like, you are dealing with the nervousness of the situation and encountering a frustration of like the roots aren't cooperating. And I don't know if you grew your wedding vestments yourself or they were grown for you, but whatever reason, these roots aren't behaving properly. And I just sort of like lean in and other gently coaxes at the roots. And he doesn't have the delicate touch that you know, comes from 
honed years and years of like carefully watching and observing and working with a plant, but he has a delicate grace that is just sort of naturally built into him. And he also has like this desire to help and not to hurt. So he does things that maybe you wouldn't have done in your approach because you know how to be delicate, but he's just naturally kind of soft and delicate. And he works them apart instinctually without clear eyes for, for skill and opens it up. And, you know, to him, for him, he just thinks I am helping someone relieve themselves of their burden that they've had to carry because that's kind of the thing that he, the hope that he had for you when he sent that gift. What other sees of Valyrian's body when he opens the robe? So I imagine the robe as being sort of those, it's not just like a shapeless mass. It is slightly tailored to Valyrian's body, but it's stiff and it's formal. And Mm -hmm. as he undoes it, she's wearing a very, finely made it is clearly woven with a lot of care from a from a gossamer like material but it's a plain shift it's just a a simple shift dress but because it's so thin you can actually much more clearly see the the form of valerian's body underneath it almost then it's more accentuated than if she were just naked and he can see that you know she has a belly that that folds onto, I imagine she, they're both kneeling. And so her, her belly, which is mm-hmm. a little soft, right? It's actually folding onto the very tops of her thighs. And he can see a slight crease right at her navel that he would never see probably on a lot of anyone at his temple. And it's the abundance of her body is really new to him. Yeah. Also, he can see tan lines, which I don't know if he'll ever have seen before but she's got the tan lines from her working clothes on her skin. And so there's like these patterns and shifts on her skin, but it's not paint. It's not bioluminescence. It's just her tan. And that's visible once he takes off the rope too. This episode of One Shot features music by Scott Buckley, provided under a Creative Commons International 4.0 license. The track used is Where Stars Fall. This episode of One Shot was edited and sound designed by Tracy Barnett. You can find more of their work online, anywhere, at The Other Tracy. Well, heroes, that's it for One Shot this week, but don't worry. We'll be back with the conclusion to A Green Hour next week. In the meantime, be sure to check out some of the other amazing gaming shows here on the One Shot Network. Like Character Creation Cast. Character Creation Cast is a discussion podcast where Amelia Antrim and Ryan Boatier create characters in multiple role-playing games with prominent guests from around the game's community. Each month, Character Creation Cast examines the character generation process in-depth in a different game with new guests each series. They always take the time to reflect on the game, its design, and what guests have to say about it. Think of it as sitting in on a great Session Zero every week. 
As always, we end one shot with a call to action, and this week I want folks to be aware that there is anti-trans legislation going on in too many states across the country. Legislation that bars trans people, especially trans children, from medical transitioning options is dangerous. People's mental and physical health is on the line. One of the things you can do to help is call and support the Equal Rights Amendment, new legislation that would provide protections for people based on sex, gender identity, and sexual orientation. It needs a large groundswell of support in order to make it past the Senate, and that's why calling your representatives to support it can make a huge difference. Now, when I call my reps, I use a site called fivecalls.org. That's the number five, calls.org. There, you're going to be able to find issue summaries for issues like this one, along with contact information for your representatives and a script to read while you're on the phone to help you get your message across. Calling is quick, and it can make a huge difference. Thanks, heroes.